Well, if, if you weren't aware, it's Memorial Day weekend, and I, I've referenced that several times, uh, but we are thankful that you're here. You know, Memorial Day weekend is a great weekend. Um, it was an even greater weekend when school did not extend past it. Can I get an amen from any students in the room or parents? My kids are a part of Cherokee County Schools, and so they've got to go back to school for three more days after Memorial Day, and uh, man, they are not looking forward to that. They may, they may use up their last few unexcused absence days. I'm just kidding. They would never, they would never, ever, ever, ever have any left at this point anyway. Um, but uh, Memorial Day weekend is a weekend where, you know, it, it means a lot of things to a lot of different people. For some, it just means, hey, we're going to enjoy a long weekend. For some, it means tomorrow you have the day off. For some, you're like, day off, what is that? Uh, For some, it means, hey, we're going to go to the lake. For some, it means we're going to go to the pool. For some, it means we're going to grill out, we're going to cook out. Man, that makes me hungry just thinking about it. But man, it means a lot of things to a lot of different people. It used to be that the school year was kind of Labor Day to Memorial Day, so it did signify maybe the end of school, and it kind of still does, I guess. It starts that feeling that it's summertime, a lot of neighborhood pools open up around Memorial Day weekend, and uh, so there's a lot of transition that's in and around Memorial Day weekend, and so I don't know what it all means to you. I'm not sure what the significance of Memorial Day weekend might be to you or to your family. I know to some it's not really anything. It's just a Monday. It's just a long weekend like any other long weekend, and you're thankful for that. But it doesn't hold any major significance for you. But Memorial Day was something that was established. It was actually recognized in a lot of different communities before it was recognized by the federal government. But really since about 1866, it's become this this nationally recognized holiday where people were uh, pausing to reflect and to memorialize those who had served previous to to that date. And, And early on, it was really a celebration, a memorial to the people that died in the Civil War. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but the Civil War uh, cost the United States a a little over 600,000 of its citizens of those that were fighting on one side or the other, over 600,000. And really the amazing statistic is to this point in the history of our nation, of all the other wars or peacekeeping missions uh, or anything else that our military has, has been a part of, We've only lost, and I say only, I shouldn't say that, but we've lost another 600,000. So we lost about half of the total number of people who have ever given their lives in combat in the Civil War, and then we've lost the other half in all of the other wars and military actions combined, including World War I and II, those that are presently going on, and other missions that our military has been a part of. And so this day has really begun to be recognized as a way for us to memorialize those 1.2 million or so men and women who have given of their lives in service to our country and in service in the military to protect and to provide for our freedom. And that's been a theme for today. I've been on stage more than I normally am on a given weekend. Uh, But I've been talking about that a lot because I I do think that maybe as I was preparing this week, I was just reminded a little more about the freedoms that I get to enjoy. And I don't know if you think about this very often. Uh, It sometimes requires weekends like this or days like this or July 4th or other things where maybe September 11th, something that really causes us to pause and to reflect and turn our attention towards the things that really kind of demonstrate our freedom. But I was thinking about some of the freedoms that I really do get to enjoy in my life. And there's so many. But one of the major freedoms that I get to enjoy, and not just because I'm a pastor, would I say this, is that we get to gather on a day like this. We get to gather in a public place, not just a public place, but really a government building, a a public place that we get to gather and come together 
and to worship and sing. And no one is here kind of telling us what we can say or can't say. Just over the last few weeks, our senior pastor, Dr. Mark Walker, who's a part of, uh, who is the senior pastor of our church at both of our campuses, and our missions pastor, Brett Mays, they went to China. We have a missionary there in China who was actually with us last year when we celebrated our missions festival. And they went there and they went and did some ministry training and some Christian teaching, very much like I'm doing now, to some people there, some Christians in China. But they couldn't gather in a public school and they couldn't gather even in a public place, really. They gathered in these house churches and they gathered in these places that while they could be a little more open with some of the things that they were doing, they they weren't walking the streets evangelizing, drawing people to Christianity. They were really in a place uh, doing almost secret church. They They were gathered together, not getting to enjoy the freedom that we are getting to enjoy this morning. And I, as I reflected on that, I was listening to his story this week as they just came back, I guess on Monday or Tuesday, I was listening to some of the stories of the ministry that took place there and, and really the, the people that would walk from miles away or they would take public transportation and they would get off and they would circle the block and they would go into some alleys and made sure that they weren't being followed so that they could go then into the house where they were meeting together and they would sit there in hushed groups of people listening to someone teach from God's word for a few minutes. And I thought, man, I I don't have to do that. I get in my car and I drive to a public institution or even in a few weeks when we transition to another place, to a, a, a public building, And I walk into that space and I sing songs of praise and worship to God. And I can open the Bible and read scripture aloud. And no one is threatening my life. And really Memorial Day weekend is one of those days where I can pause and to celebrate that freedom and celebrate the fact that others have done something to allow me to enjoy. It really just serves as a reminder for me. Because I could celebrate that any other day of the calendar year. But don't we need holidays sometimes just to remind us of things we already know? Now, you don't have to admit this, especially if you're a husband in the room or a boyfriend in the room. Please don't admit this. You will get in trouble. My wife's not here today, so I can say this. Um, We need Valentine's Day. It's just that one spot where we get to kind of look good, right? Like maybe, and I would encourage you guys, maybe don't even use Valentine's Day, but when you know it's coming, like you start seeing the cards, you, you just went to the grocery store and now all of a sudden there's a, an entire flower shop over on the left side of the grocery store that you didn't even know existed. You know, maybe, maybe celebrate it a few days early and then celebrate it on the day, right? I'm just giving you tips here. This is free. This is not even included in the price that you paid to get in. But <laughs> what I'm saying to you is we just need Valentine's Day sometimes to be reminded that, oh, that's right. I really do love you with all of my heart. And I'm really excited about the life that we're leading together. Sometimes we just need Thanksgiving just to pause and the busyness of the fall and just to go, wow, that's right. I really do have so much to be thankful for. Now, we could be thankful every other day of the year and we could remind our spouse how much we love them or our significant other how much we love them every day of the year. But these moments where we pause, these holidays, these special moments, anniversary dates. On the inside of my wedding band, Corey, in her grace to me, inscribed our wedding date. I don't know why you're laughing, except that I know why you're laughing. Because if you've ever asked a couple, how long have you been married? And one gives one answer and the other gives the other answer. Or you've ever asked, hey, when's your anniversary? And the wife's like, June the 3rd, 1984. And the husband's like, that's 
exactly what I was going to say a second ago, right? Because sometimes we forget, but we have these moments where we can pause and reflect. And if I ever get confused, I can just go, oh, that's right. It was December the 12th. I remember I would never forget because we have these moments that we pause and remember where we can be reminded of what we have to be thankful for and of what we have to celebrate But here's the amazing thing about the grace of God and what God knows about us. God knew that we would be forgetful. God knew. Like God created us. Psalms tells us we were praying this and talking about this in our volunteer meeting this morning. God knit us together in our mother's womb. That's what it says to us in in Psalm 139. It says that God knit us together. God made us. He formed us together, right? And I think that as God was forming us, he knew that we would be a little bit forgetful that there were things that we should remember that we wouldn't remember. And when you read the Old Testament, the Old Testament is really kind of the first, more than the first half, but it's the first portion of the Bible. When you read the Old Testament, you're really reading a story of God's people. The New Testament is as well, but really you see a ton of narrative in the Old Testament about God's people, the children of Israel, these Hebrew people and how God formed them and how he brought them together and how they went into captivity and they came out of captivity and um, how they were worshiping God and then forgetting God and worshiping God and forgetting God, being thankful to God and then forgetting to be thankful and questioning God and wondering what they had to be thankful for. And we see this over and over and over. And if you actually read the Old Testament through. Like if you start in the beginning and you kind of read through the Old Testament and you don't just kind of pick and choose, you can see this amazing story of the rhythms, the roller coaster, the ups and downs of the children of Israel. And it's easy for me to read that and really point my finger at them and go, wow, you are a stupid people. Like how could you forget that God rolled the waters back and you walked across on dry land and then once you were saved that he rolled the waters back and your enemies were destroyed? How could you forget when you were out in the middle of the desert and you had nothing? How could you forget that he provided food for you every single morning? All you had to do was walk out of your tent and there was manna. How could you forget, David, that he allowed a rock in a sling to bring down Goliath and for your people to destroy your enemy's people? How could you forget that and turn your back? How could you forget, children of Israel, all of the things that God had blessed you with, how could you forget that the walls of Jericho came falling down through no military you know, feet of your own? God gave this terrible battle plan. Just walk around and be quiet and then scream and the walls come down. I mean, that's amazing. And the walls came down and it's not very long after that that we see that people are disobeying God and taking some of the plunder for themselves and going into other cities and not trusting God in battle and they're defeated. And we just see this incredible roller coaster and it's easy for us to go, how in the world could you forget except that we forget, don't we? We sit today in a room like this worried about tomorrow. And we sit and we're concerned about the things that we don't know yet. And we think about all the uncertainty and all the fear and all the doubt and the doctor's reports and the balance in our checking account and the bills that are due. and We just think about all these things and we go, man, I don't know if it's even going to be possible. I don't know how this is going to work out. I'm afraid. I'm scared. And all of those are human emotions that God gave to us. And yet sometimes I'm afraid. The reason that we are afraid is because we have forgotten how faithful God was before. 
We need to be reminded. And so my hope today is that we can turn to God's word and we can really be challenged to remember on this Memorial Day weekend all that God has done for us and all that God desires to do in and through us moving forward. And so I want you to turn in your Bibles, if you have a Bible, to Exodus chapter 28. Exodus is in the Old Testament. It's very early there, right? You've got Genesis, Exodus. So you're, you're, you're right up front there. It's the second book. And so we're going to look at Exodus chapter 28. Um, if you don't have a Bible, you've got a smartphone, you can go to Bible.com and you can follow along or an app there uh, if you need to. If not, uh, most of what I'm going to talk about today is up on the screen behind me and I'll try to stay out of the way so that you can follow along. God has established his people. Um, he is setting up for them the rules which they should live by, the things that they're going to do to really be a people set apart. We talked about that a little bit last week if you were here. And now we see one of these specific commands that God is giving through Moses usually to his people about the way that they should set themselves apart. And this is in Exodus 28, beginning in verse 29. We're actually just going to read this one verse. This is what it says. So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel in the breastpiece of judgment on his heart when he goes into the holy place to bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord. I want to read it one more time. Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel in the breastpiece of judgment on his heart when he goes into the holy place to bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord. Now, Aaron was the high priest there. He was the, the one who is um, going before God, that holy place, that place that God's presence was. And so um, God is really kind of, I mean, he's given some specific instructions as to what the priest should wear. Thank God he didn't do that for the preacher today. So he gives specific things like he should wear this type of cloth, he should wear this type of thing over his chest. He should wear this type of thing over his head. He should wear these types of garments. He should carry these types of things. This is the way that he should conduct the sacrifice. And so God gives very specific instructions. And one of those that's given here in verse 29 is that he has to wear a breast piece that is over his heart. And over his heart on this breast piece are the names of the sons of Israel. Now, Again, I, I, this is a little bit Old Testament. This is a little bit of kind of Bible stuff that some of you may not be familiar with, and that's okay. But Israel is not just the country that you may be familiar with today on a map or in the news. Israel in the Old Testament was a person, and this person had 12 sons. And so maybe you have heard, and if not, it's okay, you've heard the 12 tribes of Israel. Those were not just standalone tribes. These were representative of each of the sons, each of the line of the family tree of this person, Israel. And then out of that, we see the story begin to develop as those sons and those tribes which represent those sons, those tribes begin to be a people all to their own. And some of them split off and some of them come back together. And we see these groups of people, even to present day, some of them getting along, some of them arguing with one another, but we see God's people being formed in that. And so as the priest is going to go into the holy place, he's the one that's going to go and worship and make petitions or, or prayer requests to God what we read here is that those names that are going to be on the breast piece, those names are not just so that Aaron can remember, oh yeah, there's 12 of them. It's so that they can be brought as worship back to God so that God remembers. Now, God doesn't forget. So what is it saying here in verse 29? What, what, why are we reminding God? Well, I think what we're doing, I think what God is saying, because God's giving the instruction that this should be done so that it says then that the, this would be remembrance before the Lord. So this idea is that these names that are on the breastpiece, these names that are written there, these names that are inscribed, they are being worn by the representative of the people as he comes before a holy God. 
so that it wouldn't just be in what's required in the Old Testament. It wouldn't just be one man standing there worshiping God. It would be one man standing in representation of the people of God worshiping and responding and connecting to God. Now, here's the amazing thing about the New Testament. If we put these two stories together, this is, again, it's a little bit Bible stuff, and you may not be familiar with this, but in the Old Testament, the priest was the one who would receive all of the sacrifice. So if you did anything wrong, just think about anything you did wrong all week long. You said something you shouldn't have said. You did something you shouldn't have done. Okay, so we're all guilty of something this week, and if you're not, more power to you. So think back two weeks, because we're going to find something within the last few days. You would have brought this morning with you, not an offering, not a, not a piece of money you're going to put in an envelope, not a check. You wouldn't have brought your car, your bank card to use at the kiosk. You wouldn't have brought that as a sacrifice or an offering. You would have brought an animal. You would have brought a sheep or a goat or a lamb or a dove. You would have brought something today that could have been sacrificed by the priest. And that blood that we were singing about earlier, that blood would have been poured out. And that would have been the payment for your wrongdoing. Now, you get to the New Testament, and Jesus Christ, who claimed to be the Son of God, which we believe, he came to the, in the New Testament, and he said that he would be the once-for-all-time sacrifice. Romans talks about that. He would be the once-for-all-time sacrifice. So in the, the, the things that were required in the Old Testament, is this falling down behind me? Okay, no, it's not. Felt like it was falling down. I don't know. I was getting something there. In the New Testament, just, just hang with me here. I honestly felt like that scream was about to fall on my head. I saw a shadow. There was a bird that flew by or something. I don't know. You with me now? Everybody's paying attention? All right. So now what we have in the New Testament, according to Romans, is we have this guy who shows up. He says, I'm the son of God. He says, no one gets to the Father except through me. And Romans tells us that he is the once for all time sacrifice, which means that he now is the sacrifice so that you don't have to bring a bunch of animals when you come to church. And he died and his blood, which is actually what we were singing about, nothing but the blood washes me white as snow, makes me clean in the sight of God. That blood of Jesus is what replaced the blood of the sacrifice. But the the priest would have been the one to receive it. And so Jesus then becomes the representation. He is now the high priest. He's the one that's not only receiving the sacrifice, he is offering himself as the sacrifice. And so Jesus is the fulfillment of, and he lays over top of all of these things that we read in the Old Testament. But this breast piece was this idea that it had the names So that before the Lord there was remembrance, so that there was something to remind everybody involved, the guy that helped Aaron get dressed, Aaron himself, the worship that was taking place, the people of God, so that even though they're outside of the tent, even though they're outside of the holy place, they know that they are represented in that holy place. Jesus Christ goes to the cross, and we read this in all of the gospel accounts. He goes to the cross and he hangs there and he dies. And then in several of those accounts, we read that the veil in the temple was torn. It was ripped in two, which means that that separation into the holy place that only Aaron would have gone into wearing those names, that separation no longer existed. So the sacrifice of Jesus not only provided the blood, but it also provided for you and I access into a place of worship unto God. It was a place where now everyone could go and not just a representative of the people. Now, that's really important because let me just kind of help you see what that reenactment would look like if the veil had not been torn and the holy place had not been exposed when Jesus died on the cross. This morning, none of you would have been able to come into this room. If this would have been designated the holy place, you would have had to stand outside in the lobby and I would have walked in. And on your behalf, I would have prayed all of the prayers that you desired for us to pray. 
every need that you have, everything that you're asking God for. Every animal that you brought, we would have killed on the front lawn of the school. And I would have taken representation of that blood and brought it with me into the holy place and asked God to receive the sacrifices that you would have brought. And I would have brought those on your behalf. But you would not have the opportunity to connect to God personally. You would have to connect to God through me. Now, let me just say on your behalf, thank God you don't have to do that anymore. What you get to do is you get to go straight to God. You don't have to pick up the phone and call an operator somewhere else to connect you to another place. To You just say, Jesus, and he hears you. You just say the name of God, and I believe he's listening to you. You say, I have a need, and you offer it, and he hears. You don't have to go through anybody else. He hears you. He offers himself to you directly. But this idea of remembering is still important to us because sometimes we forget that. Because I think what happened in that holy place, as Aaron stands there with that breast piece with names on it, this is not the only place that we see names. Scripture tells us that there are names that are written in a book for later in the future. We see that names were inscribed in a lot of places in the Old Testament. We see that names were recorded throughout the Scriptures. We see in the beginnings of the, some of the books of the Gospels, we see that this person begat that person and that person begat this. Names are important. And I think that everywhere you see a name, there's a story. The same is true with your name. It may represent something. There may be a story behind your name, but even if you don't have a clue what your name means, your name means something now because it is the name by which you've been called as your story is being written. And so God was connecting, remembering to worship. I think that's what Exodus 28, 29 is, that God is connecting, remembering to worship. He's saying that worship is not the songs that we sing. Worship is a lifestyle. And, and I've been a part of the church so long, and some of you have too, that you hear me say that, that worship is a lifestyle, and you go, wow, that's the most cliche thing you've said in six weeks. But worship is not just the songs that we sing. Worship is a lifestyle, and here's what I mean by that. The lives that we live are worship unto God. Maybe. I mean, that's what they're supposed to be. We read in the, in the New Testament that our lives should be a living sacrifice. Then no longer do we have to bring sheeps and goats and doves. It's actually us that we offer to God to say, hey, take me as a living sacrifice. Take me as I live to be sacrificed unto you. I give of myself to you. And I think what God is saying to, to the children of Israel that we can pull from today in Exodus 28 is that remembering is a part of worship. That as you remember, you can't help but be thankful and you can't help but respond in praise and worship to God because worship is not songs. Worship is a lifestyle. Does the way that I live reflect my remembering? Think about that. As I live today, am I more focused on what God has done for me or what I'm unsure of about tomorrow? Now, I'm not trying to make you feel bad if you're worried about tomorrow or the next day or any hypothetical day in the future. Or you're, you have fears or doubts or worries. I, I, I'm not. I, I preached a message a couple weeks ago on worry. Go back and listen to it. That's not today. 
But what I'm saying is, does my life actually reflect what I know about God? Or does it reflect what I don't know about tomorrow? I think that's important. I think that is actually a reflection more of our heart than anything else. You know, many of the Old Testament prayers started with this line. To the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If you've ever read much of the Old Testament, you've probably wandered across one of these prayers. When they're praying for anything, really, they start a lot of times with to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so if you're not familiar with the Old Testament, you may read that and go, who's Abraham? Okay, Father Abraham, I've heard that song. Okay, I maybe know that one. Isaac, I don't, I don't know who, I think he's the campus pastor at our church maybe or something. I'm not really sure. That's my last name, by the way. Um, Jacob, we're like, I don't know who Jacob is. And so who are they praying to? Well, they're not praying to Abraham. They're not praying to Isaac and they're not praying to Jacob. They are praying to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And here's the reason that I believe that they're praying that way. Before they ever present a need, before they ever ask God for anything, they are reminding God what he did back there. What did he do for Abraham? He made a covenant with Abraham. He promised Abraham some crazy, crazy stuff. Any 90-year-olds in the room want to have a newborn, right? He said, hey, there's a promise to you. I didn't get a single amen right there, not a one. I mean, he said, hey, listen, there, there's something that I want to do through you that's going to blow your mind. I want to make a promise come true through you, and it's not just going to be one son. It's going to be as many as number the stars in the sky, right? Isaac is that promise. Isaac is the one that God saves after he says that he should be killed. He goes up onto the mountain with his father, and they're going to sacrifice him. And well, He thinks they're going to sacrifice something else, but then Isaac is the one laying on the altar there. And we see that God provides the sacrifice. Jacob is the one who is always looking for the blessings of God. And eventually, later in life, he does receive that blessing as he wrestles with God and God changes his name, and we've been referencing that today. There is this idea that those people were praying to a God that they knew to be faithful before they ever asked God to be faithful again. I think when we read in Matthew chapter 6 where Christ is teaching on how to pray again, he does the same thing. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Before we ever ask him for our daily bread, we're telling him what he is. You're holy. Your name is great in the heavens and the earth. Your kingdom and your will be done however you choose to do it. But hey, by the way, if it's not too much trouble, can I have some bread and can you forgive my sins? If we're not careful, our prayers are so filled with what we need from God that we forget to remind God and us of what he's already done. Because I believe that God connects remembering to worship. If you were to walk through those days of the Old Testament, you were to walk through those lands, and some of you have had opportunity to do that, you would see some things like these that are going to be up on the screen. There's a few pictures that are here. You can throw those up, guys. These are, these are just rocks, except that they're more than rocks. They're altars. You can keep flipping through them. Just go. These are across the landscape of the actual terrain of the Old Testament. Some, you can see, are a lot more polished and finished than others. But when you read the scriptures of the Old Testament, you see countless numbers of times where God does something, and a group of people, before they move forward, stop 
And they take a rock, they take a few rocks, and they build an altar. And they say, this place shall be called, and they give it a name. And then the translators that you and I get to read now in our English Bible say, and that name means God will provide. God took care of our enemies. God gave us everything that we had need of. And here's the thing. I'm kind of envious of those people. They didn't have an iPhone or an iPad. and They had not yet met a Mexican restaurant. and I, I hate that for them. But here's what I'm envious of. There were these places everywhere they traveled where they could not escape the remembering of God's goodness toward them. Now, in the hustle and bustle of life, I don't know if sometimes it just looked like a stack of rocks. Because that's what my house looks like sometimes. That's what my car looks like sometimes. It's not a blessing of God. It's just what I use to get to work. It's just where we sleep. We just kind of all meet there right before we go to bed. I, I, don't, I don't think about the provision of God sometimes when I look at the checking account. I think about what's lacking there. I don't think about my kids and my wife and the relationships that God's blessed me with. Sometimes I just, I forget that it's something important and it's not just a stack of rocks. Because everywhere that they walked, there was a reminder of God's goodness. And what is God's goodness? God's goodness is that he had a plan all along. That even when we read some scriptures in the Old Testament that we cannot figure out, why in the world would you pour blood out of a dove and you kill it? And you, why do you kill this animal? And why do you have to take blood and put it over the horns of the altars? And we read these things and we go, what in the world is this talking about? Until you read about Jesus. And until you discover that there was a plan all along. That we had to see our inability to provide our own atonement. To, to provide our own sacrifice. To provide our own means for righteousness. And until we got to that place where we realized we were unable, we probably wouldn't realize that we needed Jesus. As I was looking at all these things, our theme for today is that all gave some, but some gave all. That's something that we see a lot with Memorial Day, and we see it with our active military. We see the idea that everybody gives something, it would seem, but some have given everything for our freedom. That's the story of Christianity. That's the story of the gospel. That these Old Testament saints were bringing sacrifice. And so they had to give of the, the lambs that they had. They had to give of their produce. They had to give of something to provide. And then Jesus knelt in the garden just before he went to the cross. And he said, Father, if it's at all possible, would you please let this pass from me? And immediately his heart shifts. And he says, not my will, but your will be done. And he gave all that he had for you and I. All gave some. Some gave all. I ran across a movie. It's really famous and popular. Maybe you've seen it. Saving Private Ryan. It's several years old now. and includes a lot of famous people. Tom Hanks and Matt Damon. It's a great story. There's a lot in the story that, that is great. It's a military movie. It's 
a story that really kind of pulls at your heartstrings. It's the story of uh, Private James Ryan, who has three brothers who are fighting in the war, and they lose their life. And as the government has connected with the mom, there's this idea that they don't want the fourth son, who is also serving, to pass away in active service as well. And so an entire group of troops are sent to save this one guy, this Private Ryan. Tom Hanks leads them. He's Captain John Miller. He leads this group into the, the land where that, that private is serving. They can't really get you know, word to him, so they got to go get him. And the whole movie is really tracking that. And you see the development in the characters of these men that are going to save him and their bitterness to, you know, to go get this one guy. Why is he worth it? And they, you see all that. And as the movie concludes, you see an interaction between Tom Hanks' character and Matt Damon. You see this interaction, this conversation that they have. And I want you to watch this quickly. And then we'll come back and close out our time together. Captain Miller looked at him and he said, earn this. In relation to the freedom that we experience in our lives here today, my hope and my prayer is that Memorial Day weekend is not just a long weekend and it's not just an excuse to grill out or go to the lake. or None of those things are bad. I hope you do them. But I hope that as you are a part of this weekend, that you realize that others have given all so that you and I could be free. And as it relates to the context of our faith, guess what? You and I do not have to earn the free gift of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's the incredible truth of Christianity that differentiates it from every other world religion in that we don't have to earn God's love. And we don't have to earn anything that he has given to us or will give to us. One of my favorite scriptures that I quote a lot out of the book of Romans says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's how he demonstrated his love to us. That before we were good enough to earn it, while we were still bad, you know, pagan, awful, sinful people, Christ died. And so today, I would encourage you to, to do two things. One, to pause and remember on this Memorial Day weekend that all gave some, but some gave all. And to remember that there were those who gave everything they had so that you could enjoy the freedom that you experience today. But that freedom is temporary. And I don't mean that, uh, that in the context of politics and of even the world dynamics. I, I, I'm not even talking about that. The freedom that we do get to experience is just a part of this world. But for those of us that believe the Bible, we understand that there's a freedom that's far greater than our need for or desire for freedom here on earth. And that is the freedom from an eternal punishment of sin. And guess what? There was someone who gave all for that freedom as well. And so today I'm going to ask you just to bow your head and to close your eyes as we conclude our service. And I want to give those of you in this room who have never received that free gift, the opportunity to respond and to say, yes, I am a sinner in need of the gift of saving that Jesus Christ affords to me on the cross. The blood that we sang about earlier, it shouldn't be something weird and spooky. It's just the saving agent 
that washes us white as snow. It covers our sins. It provides the forgiveness that we need from God. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you would say to me today, Jeremy, nobody's looking around, you would say, hey, I am a sinner in need of Jesus as my Savior. I want to live in such a way that I, not, I don't have to earn that free gift, but I reflect that free gift. Would you just lift your hands? You can put them right back down. Thank you so much. Anybody else? I just want to pray for those folks, and then we're going to conclude our prayer. God, I pray right now for every hand that was lifted. I pray, God, that you would help them to see their lives in light of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. And I pray today, God, that you would help them not live in such a way that they think they have to earn salvation, but, God, that they would live lives that reflect the saving work that you have given to them. I pray that for every one of us, that our lives would reflect that, that our lives would just be about remembering and worshiping who you are. And God, we thank you for this Memorial Day weekend where we could pause and reflect and remember the sacrifice of so many. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.